important for the Latino and the immigrant community to be well. We look at the concept of community health very broadly because it's very intersectional. It is not just about your actual health, it's about everything around you that impacts it. Hello, welcome to Healthcare Collaborations, presented by Johns Hopkins Healthcare a podcast all about redefining the value of health insurance through collaboration. I used to say provider collaboration, but the reality is, and as this episode shows, collaboration extends beyond clinical settings, in this case, to the community, to truly, and more substantially, improve the health of local communities. It's necessary to work with and support organizations with a singular focus on underserved populations. Last year, Johns Hopkins Healthcare provided a $20,000 grant to Maryland Latinos Unidos, an organization dedicated to supporting the Latin immigrant population. Specifically through its managed care organization, Priority Partners, Johns Hopkins Healthcare is helping immigrant, low-income, and other individuals and families overcome social determinants of health. In this conversation with Dr. Gabriela Limus, Executive Director of Maryland Latinos Unidos, we learn about the organization and how this grant will allow them to expand their support for the immigrants they serve. All right, good morning. I'm here with Dr. Gabriela Limus. She is the Executive Director of the Maryland Latinos Unidos organization. And today we're going to kind of talk about the work that that organization does especially related to social determinants of health and the Latino community in Maryland. Um, thank you for joining me this morning. Dr. Lemus, if you could just kind of give a little bit of background summary of what your organization does within the communities. Sure. Um, and thank you so much, Chris, for having having us. Um, so, yeah, Maryland Latinos Unidos is a really uh, young organization. We're, we just turned two. So we're entering our ter- terrible two phase. And um, and that means we're stirring up good trouble, right? Um, so uh, we were formed during COVID uh, by a group of about 80 plus uh, grassroots leaders and community leaders and business leaders and, and um, actually elected officials because um, COVID crisis showed the infrastructure challenges for the Latino community throughout the state of Maryland. And, um, and you know, we were created with two objectives in mind. The first being that we would um, address the COVID crisis, um, and then the second being that we would um, start building infrastructure more broadly to address um, the challenges faced by this very, very rapidly growing community. Right. Um, so we're we we focused our work in five counties, um, primarily in. Um, Baltimore City, Baltimore County, Anne Arundel, and then the two biggies, which are Montgomery and Prince George's counties, because that's where a little bit over 60%, and some would even say two thirds of the Latino population in the state reside. So, you know, when you start something, you want to start focused, and then we'll start building out. And we're already seeing that there's need in Frederick and Howard and Eastern Shore and other places. But what we're also learning and, and what we've been trying to wrap our heads around as an organization is, um, how do we address the very diverse types of challenges? Because this is not a monolithic population, right? There's over 20 plus countries that uh, represent 
uh, Latin America, or, you know, represented from Latin America. Um, it just so happens that uh, Maryland is a very uh, culturally diverse in terms of the Latino community itself. Um, about a third of the population in Maryland is from Central America. Um, about, I would say about 15 to 20 percent are from Mexico, and then um, the other 20, 25 percent are, um, and that's probably really bad math, uh, but they're from South America and the Caribbean, and um, it's pretty impressive, and we have representation from all over, but the largest population group would have to be El Salvador, followed by the Mexican population, which is not something people think about, right? And what does that mean? Um, it has impacts in how you speak to folks, uh, the Spanish you utilize, um, and the um, sort of the cultural approaches that you engage in. Um, and, you know, basically our mission then has been to build out the capacity of, of our grassroots uh, organizations that are developing to respond for the needs. And uh, we call attention to disparities and inequities like social determinants of health, um, because it's important for the Latino and the immigrant community to be well. We look at the concept of community health very broadly because it's very intersectional. It is not just about your actual health, it's about everything around you that impacts it from your um, economic status to your air quality, uh, water quality, but also your, your just your quality of life in general and, and how you know it affects your mental health, for example. And then lastly, um, we engage the community. Uh, we're learning how to be good advocates and uh, ensure that all Latinos have access to um, necessary services. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. Yeah, that seems like a, a tall order. I, I think as a small organization that you are uh, pulled is. across several counties and, and with, with more need um, uh, that there is around the state um, and in a growing population, as you said, that has significant challenges um, in, in a, in a non-native um, uh, environment like this. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the, the primary challenges, the biggest challenges that you're seeing within the Latino communities <laughs> that you serve? There's some that are common, you know, language being the obvious one, right? Um, how we communicate. But then there's some that are more related to cultural relevance and competency. Because we do come from so many different places. Um, you know, it's it always, um, even finding the right Spanish word to use can be a bit challenging. Um, and so I think what happens then is when this gets translated, especially for the agencies, and they need healthcare or they need uh, to talk to the teachers, uh, you know, because their kids in school are, um, you know, it's it's teacher parent day, and you have to go and talk to the teachers, right? Um, so there's there's a number of ways that it gets expressed, and um, I think those challenges uh, really relate. Communication is probably the biggest. Um, you know, I I have. Um, I've, I've spoken to community members and to agencies and to nonprofit leaders um, and what they find sometimes, um, especially if they haven't really acquired English very well yet, will, um, you know, the agency, especially if they receive federal funds, has to title six, you have to, you have to provide translation services. Um, but what ends up happening is if those interpreters are not well versed, not just in the community, but in the actual issue, that you're talking about, um, they may not have the language knowledge related to that culture of the um, 
the practice. So meaning if you're in healthcare or you're specifically in mental health, how do you talk about this? And how do you explain then the quasi-legal language of, you know, these contracts you have to sign or this, you know, paper you have to look at, et cetera. And that it, it becomes a complex issue, much more so than it, it, it should be. And Maryland, because this is a relatively new, I wouldn't say it's new. I mean, it, Latinos have been here a long time, but at this large size at this, you know, it's, it's starting to be felt early on. Um, in my terms of my personal research, I specialize in emerging communities and I found the same issue. Maryland is not unique in this sense. Um, emerging communities will immediately be impacted in, uh, in health, in education and law enforcement. When, you know, you get pulled over cause you have a pedidal in your car and you know, you're, the, the police officer is trying to talk to you and, and he or she doesn't understand Spanish and, and the person gets nervous. So whatever English they know goes right out the window. And, and so it creates all kinds of little mini conflicts um, in, um, in, in moving things forward. Well, what does that mean then for the community? It means that from a challenge perspective, um, they might get into more trouble than they would otherwise. They may not fully understand what services are actually available for them. Um, you know, the folks who provide the services, one thing to think about, about um, American culture is we're very, we're very independent, we're very autonomous. Um, Latino cultures are different, especially, um, you know, when they're first arriving, they are very family driven. And the way we see community is a little bit different than the American culture. It is much less autonomous. So let's say you are a young person in high school and you've been getting services because you're autistic, right? And now you're about to leave high school. Uh, so the services in our state, uh, as they're supposed to do, is to help that person be independent. Um, the Latino family is less willing to do that. And there are pieces in, in our laws, for example, that might say, well, you know, if you don't receive the services right away, um, we're going to, um, you know, stop funding, which becomes problematic because what the services are, because it's so focused on autonomy, it will like try to get the young person out and about with that individual, right? So they get accustomed, but the family members worried. They're worried about the child's safety. They're worried, does, will, will that person, would my child be able to communicate with me? You know, things like that. So there's a lot of layers of understanding that has to happen. Um, that um, that can, um, you know, really impact uh, both the experience for the agency member itself or the hospital uh, worker or, you know, uh, et cetera, and um, for the families themselves. And, and again, it goes back to communication. Um, it really, it's, uh, it's amazing um, how important that is. What's, what's great about uh, Maryland Latinos Unidos is you're embedded in those communities and you're directly impacting those families and those individuals. From Priority Partners standpoint, uh, managed care organization whose primary intent, objective, mission is to provide uh, the healthcare coverage for members to get the healthcare services they need, the preventive care uh, and treatment for any health conditions that they have. They're the organization also has many mechanisms in place to address social determinants of health, but can only do so much, right? We uh, everybody needs to stay in their lane and, and maximize what they what they have the best resources for, and so that's one reason why Party Partners uh, is supporting 
uh, Maryland Latinos Unidos with the grant that was provided. And um, I just want to talk about the what what your organization tends to do with that grant and how that will help you um, bring more support to these communities. Well, actually, this grant has been already super helpful. Uh, we've already been able to, you know, begin a number of projects. Um, you know, and, and here's the challenge: uh, when you start doing something right, uh, it seems like the the demand gets larger, <laughs> larger and larger. Um, so, uh, you know, sadly, I I've had to turn away some some work because we just don't have the bandwidth yet. Uh, you know, we're building that capacity, um, and and that's really what this grant has allowed us to do. Uh, we right now, this, this is going to sound crazy because we're a very small staff. So what we've done is we've built out a group of community health organizers. And like I said, community health being thought of broadly. Our community health organizers are not community health workers. We do not provide direct services. What we do, to your point about leveraging resources and staying in your lane, is we help the folks that have to stay in their lane to connect the dots with other folks who also have to stay in their lane so that we can maximize available resources for everyone. We then bring in the community partners and, and Latino Latino community members and experts uh, through the organizations, of course, and we might create a, an advisory committee of some sort. Uh, community, we did this with an HIV uh, different issue, HIV self-testing, but that's part of our our outreach effort, right? Um, you know, one thing we started working on COVID, and we knew from the get-go that we were going to be transitioning into health equity work. Period. So we we have. Um, our COVID, our COVID Alliance, which created our model of um, convene, converse, uh, cultivate as in ideas, and then collaborate uh, really comes out of MALVEC. And what is MALVEC? It's a mouthful. Mid-Atlantic, Latinx, Vaccine Equity Coalition. So we've simplified it to Latino Health Equity Alliance. Um, but what happens then is it allows us to go into the more specific. So we're still working with that large community advisory model, that large idea of, okay, we're going to uh, still get vaccines out and now we're gonna maybe micro-target around children. So maybe we bring a group of pediatricians and child experts and community health workers along with agencies, et cetera, to talk about that and, and then get that happening. Because right now, for example, with COVID, uh, there's an evolution in the vaccine process. Um, a lot of folks are rejecting it. They don't want a booster. Um, so things like that. Um, we're looking at programs in health literacy, um, specifically in Montgomery County. We're gathering data. We're um, developing resources. It's a small, yeah, well, small grant. It's twenty thousand dollars. It's, it's for me. That's a lot of money. But um, it's not like you know getting a. a I don't know, a government grant for $15 million where you're building like this whole institute, right? Um, it's baby steps. Um, and it's important though, those baby steps mean a lot because it's already allowed us to start developing social marketing campaigns um, and um, and hire staff. I mean, let's be let's be real. So we, we had a part-time staff for Prince George's in Montgomery County. Now we have a full-time staff and your grant was able to help us do that. Um, and and that's that's the difference. And that's why, you know, our partnership with you is so important because um, it really helps us do the micro targeting we need to do 
uh, but also gather that important data. There's a real challenge with gathering data for the Latino community in Maryland. Um, and it's sort of an ongoing thing. And this is more of a systemic, a structural issue. Um, um, but uh, because of this work on health equity, I'm able then to weigh in on that at the state level. And um, that brings me into the advocacy space, right? Um, and, and sort of like from these very practical experiences that our community health organizers have and the reports that they give us back and the data that they collect, I can then carry that water and go to a, the state legislature and say, look, we're running into this problem. Or I can go to the county executive or the, the mayor and say, look, we're having this challenge in this community, in this zip code. Um, and then we, again, we use that collaborative model. We come together and we build it out. Um, we've really, you know, we have a lot of dreams um, and we're looking forward to the future. Um, but these are the kinds of fundamental steps, foundational steps that will help us build something that hopefully will last for a very long time. And, and therefore the, the, the grant support becomes a legacy, not just a one-time thing. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for going all of, over all of that. Uh, it's, it's, it's good to hear that, that as, as you take these baby steps and, and things like this grant and other grants that you get, and, and as you're able to build that foundation, it's, it sounds like additional support, it's additional advocacy, it's um, additional staff, and it's, it's helping you reach additional people, which is all great um, to expand across the state and expand your offerings. And it's all about breaking down barriers and getting people to better health outcomes and better life outcomes. And Party Partners appreciates uh, the work that you all do. We're happy to support you. And, and thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you. And thank you for this opportunity. Um, I'm really excited to keep going and do more. Um, and um, I welcome ongoing partnership. That's great. Do more is, is a great uh, way to end this. I think that's what we all want to do is, is to do more. So we appreciate your, uh, your collaboration with that. Thank you, Chris. I want to thank Dr. Lemus for sharing some background on her organization and previewing the great work they have started and will continue as a result of the $20,000 grant from Johns Hopkins Healthcare. If you haven't yet heard the companion episode to this podcast, I encourage you to listen. We visit with leaders from Priority Partners as they discuss how the health plan is addressing social determinants of health. It's a great conversation and it reveals how health plans have a greater responsibility than merely providing coverage for healthcare services. Here's a clip. Do you live in a place where the, the water is drinkable? Do you live in a place with sidewalks, with parks to play? We say exercise, can you do that? Do you have a job that allows you to purchase the food that you need to be healthy? And so it's very important that we address those things because those things often distract our members from taking care of their health. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoy these conversations, subscribe to the podcast and turn on notifications when we publish a new one. Until next time, be safe, be well.